0: My wife and I wanted to escape the city and move to a coastal location. Because Bryn was only driving a short distance to work, he tried Yui for his car insurance. We really wanted to give our children a different lifestyle, one that's a little bit more relaxed. Bryn saved lots when he switched to Yui. When your life changes, your insurance should too. Yui, you. Insured. Product issued by UEPDY Limited. Consider our carpedias at ue.com.au to decide if this product is right for you.
1: Millions of despairing men, women, and little children
0: victims of a system that makes men torture and imprison innocent
1: people. You cannot shake hands with a clenched fist.
0: Produced by a nuclear exchange would be carried by wind and water and soil and seed to the far corners of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven.
1: one small step for man, one giant leap
0: for man. The misery that is now upon us is but the passing of greed, the bitterness of men who fear the way of human progress. The hate of men will pass and dictators die. And the power they took from the people will return to the people. And so long as men die, liberty will never perish. In the language of the U.S. Department of Defense, these are unidentified aerial phenomena.
2: Roswell is a very interesting place with a lot of people that would like to know what's going on. Uh, there is very compelling evidence that we uh, we may not be alone. This is
0: the Garden of Doom.
1: Welcome everybody to episode 50 of Garden of Doom. And for the special fiftieth episode, we have a really big get this week. The guest of Earth, the host of Earth Ancients podcast uh, has both a national Facebook group of over forty thousand members and an international Facebook group of over one hundred and twenty thousand members. And they've been doing this for seven years. Uh, well, I let him talk about Earth Ancients and all the things that he's involved with. But there's a lot of overlap between things that this show covers uh sort of regularly uh that their show covers all the time. Um so I think that the that listeners of this show, especially longtime listeners of this show, would definitely enjoy their group as well. So without further ado, I welcome in Cliff Dunning. How are you today, Cliff? Hi Jeff. Nice to be here. I'm doing great. Terrific. Um it has it's been really a a, a pleasure to get you on. We chatted a little bit earlier. Thank you for your patience and your time with some of the uh, technical issues that we were experiencing with audition. Um, But but I'm just starting by telling a little you know, you can do your own cell on Earth Ancients and some of the things you do and tell us sort of like a description of the show and your topics.
2: Sure. Uh, Earth Ancients came out of uh, 20 years as a program director for conferences uh, here on the West Coast. Uh, I was the conference director for a whole life expo and new living expo whole life in its prime was an eight show uh, yearly conference that was new york uh, to san francisco and everything in between featured uh, a lot of the best-selling authors that i have on my show people like graham hancock dr robert shock and hundreds of others and when that began to fade and my interest uh was uh, waning the technology behind uh podcasting started following me and i was listening about 10 years ago to some of the early podcasts like joe rogan and people like that and i thought wow this is a, a really great me- medium and 7 years ago i launched uh earth ancients And with really real rudimentary technology, I was using headset from my phone, ear pods and things like that, and just was uh, interviewing people who I enjoyed. I had a great uh, uh, database of people, and from there, it just kept growing, and uh, it covers a lot of interest. I've been interested in history for most of my life and have had the good fortune to travel through uh, Mexico and Central America for a number of years. And um, so the podcast is a great place to not only talk to authors and research investigators, but to also get across a lot of my own uh, interests in writing. Um, I write articles for Ancient Origins Magazine every month. and also online and uh, kind of contribute to other publications when they ask. So that's it in the nutshell. <laughs>
1: yeah, they were, uh, so the show uh, centers uh, largely on the premise that there were ancient human civilizations um, well before recorded time, uh, pre-Diluvian, yeah, yeah. maybe more than one Diluvian age, um, sort of counter to, there's a lot of similarities uh, between that theory and the let's just call it the ancient aliens theory. To, in the interest of time, except that instead of ancient aliens, we, the premise of your show is more that it was uh, ancient humans that that we had uh, prior ages of man and civilizations, which which actually, if I'm not mistaken, exists in the lore of. Several peoples, I think the Aztecs and the Mayans, both both talk about this being like the fifth age of man, and there are other cultures like that as well. I know that the uh, Egyptians and the Sumerians both have their king's line going back hundreds of thousands of years. Um, so, you know, I mean, it's a big difference in philosophy, you know, it's almost like whether Jesus is the son of God or Jesus isn't the son of God that big, but after it, the the rest of the l- religious doctrine sort of, you know, is the same. A lot of the analysis is the same. So you have guests that are on the other side of that philosophical uh, debate or scientific debate, whatever we want to call it, and guests in other areas as well. I want to lead people to believe that in seven years you've only covered this topic. You don't. You have spiritualists. You have people who write about Atlantis. You've uh, people. Uh, you've had people on crystals. You've had people, you've had science. So you have all sorts of things as well. Um, a few of things that you certainly focus on is a word I never heard before I listened to your show, and that is telluric, telluric energy. So what what is telluric energy? Um, Telluric
2: energy fields uh, are they are energy coming from the earth. The earth uh, develops its own gravity, and within the gravity, there are sub levels of uh, uh, of energy, uh, gravity being the main energy. A telluric field bubbles up from what is called a ley line, and the earth has a uh, system, kind of like a um, uh, you can consider it like a circulation system, like our our arterial system, the arteries of our body. The Earth has the same kind of arterial system uh, and they're they're considered ley lines, which are energy lines. From a ley line, uh, there are spots that are focused and you can actually measure this energy coming out of the ground. And that's a, when it leaves the uh, ground, it's called a telluric field. A lot of the older civilizations actually understood this, the Maya being the most uh, prevalent. Uh, we think the Egyptians also understood telluric energy because uh, there's evidence from a number of forensic engineers uh, that the pyramids built on top of a massive telluric field, which is a ley line, but uh, I've studied the temples and the pyramids of uh, uh, the Maya, and their whole uh, scientific base is is, uh, uh, designed around pyramids over telluric fields, and what these pyramids do is actually collect and intensify the energy of a telluric field and then pass it through. And what we don't know is how they use that energy. Uh, we, have a, we have a somewhat of an idea, uh, but uh,
1: that's basically uh, a, a brief outline of what a telluric field is. Also well, before I move ahead, did I do a fair job of, of sort of describing Earth Ancients?
2: Yeah, Earth Ancients um, is uh, a look at history, but from a um, less than orthodox view. So in other words, we have archaeologists, anthropologists, uh, but most of the time we're looking at engineered data. And this is what the problem is. The reason I started Earth Ancients is that uh, our history is very much questionable. And when I say history, it's uh, you know who built the pyramids and why. Uh, who built the uh, temples? Why would they build temples over uh, telluric fields? There's a whole science that is not being leveraged when we talk about our history. And uh, to say that the um, pre-dynastic Egyptians, the Maya, the um, people who built Stonehenge were Hunter-gatherers is really a misnomer because there's a science and physics behind what they developed that we're just beginning to understand now. And the only way we know this is because we're coming up to speed in developing uh, an analytic tools that can sense these telluric fields, that can sense ley lines, and and so uh, Earth ancients is based on. A collective of science that isn't incorporated with anthropology or archaeology.
1: Okay, good. Uh, I just uh, I, it occurred to me that I'm sitting here spending a couple minutes describing your show when I have you here. That, uh, <laughs> you did that pretty well, actually. <laughs> I've listened for several years, and you know, I think actually it's helpful to the audience to hear from you your view of what your show is and and. Mine, although, you know, I have I didn't practice it, so I'm sure I left some stuff out while, you know, I'm sure you think about it every day. Um, so the term ley lines, I, of course, have heard the term ley lines. I think most people have, or at least most people that listen to this show have. If you don't recognize it, you've heard it... You, you, Yes, you saw the movie Ghostbusters. I think at least two out of three of them talk about ley lines. In the most recent reboot with the with the female protagonist, they actually laid out a, a like a three D map, and the ley lines um, sort of illuminated almost like a basketball on the Earth. Um, and and you know that was sort of how they talked about um, you know where the portals were. And if you're also not familiar with ley lines, the term specifically, you've heard it when you've heard people talking about. That there are points on Earth that connect, like the pyramids to Stonehenge and to the Washington Mall and and to other Anger Wat and things like that. That that's all ley lines and geometry. And sometimes you hear the term sacred geometry, which I, I mean, sacred or just geometry probably doesn't matter for the purposes of this show. Sacred, I, I you know, there's two ways of interpreting sacred. One is the divine, religious-inspired, that it was, you know, intelligent design. The other is that that's just the way that the Earth's energy lines work and someone realizes it, and the sacred just means special or something to be venerated, not necessarily uh, divine. So I well, don't actually, want... Well,
2: you, actually, you said it yourself. These the, the sacred places were venerated, and when you look at the Templar knights when they built the, uh, the great cathedrals in France... Uh, They actually sit on ley lines and the Templars developed and understood subtle energy. Now, one thing I want to mention is that a good way to explain ley lines is when you look at the human body, the ancient Chinese developed uh, healing techniques looking at the meridians. And the meridians on the body are the energy centers that are not visibly uh, detectable. But a good Chinese doctor can use needles and penetrate the skin and connect with one of these meridians for healing, for uh, creativity, to open up various centers of the body that are uh, collapsed or not functioning. And in the same way the human body has these energy centers, the Earth has ley lines, which are the Earth's meridians. So (laughs) during the turn of the century, the uh, English and br- the British actually began charting these uh, sacred places like uh, Stonehenge, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> and um, also others, I mean, there's, there's countless stone circles in uh, the UK, in Britain, and uh, parts of Wales. They actually mapped those, and they actually also began looking at uh, mapping areas outside of England, uh, and these are the ley lines that we understand. So, when the the ancients found these places like Stonehenge, they were very much tuned in physically to feeling the the vibrations. Now, today we're so bombarded with uh, unseen vibrations of of uh, cell towers, cell phones. Uh, uh, radiation uh, uh, the computers and things like that that unless we really focus we can't feel subtle subtle energy but I can tell you uh, uh, from a fact that there are certain pyramids and temples in Egypt in Mexico and in Central uh, America that if you walk up to them and you either touch them or go up the stairs and stand for a little bit you'll feel the energy in your body. They're, they're still turned on. So that's a, that's a way to understand telluric field and also the ley line.
1: It's almost like a symmetry if you want to take out geometry. It's almost like sacred uh, symmetry. When you yeah. talk about the meridians in the body, it, it sounded almost like a little bit of overlap with sort of like the yoga concept, of chakras. Is there any relationship there? Complete connection. Yeah, the chakras are the
2: Uh, energy centers, there's seven of them in the body, within the body, but there's also uh, extended chakras that that are outside of the body. You might call those aura, the auric field, and so forth. But uh, yeah, the chakras are extremely important. And these are other uh, points that are not discussed, uh, are not considered in the West. And this is why I tell people to be very careful when you go to your doctor, because they don't understand, I'm talking about allopathic doctors now. Uh, remember, allopathy is cut, irradiate, and chemically induced with drugs. So th- th- that's how they heal. The Chinese and other uh, ancient methods uh, of healing address the subtle energy of the body. And when you have a healing from them, they're addressing the mechanisms on how, of wh- how the body works. That's why a lot of times those healings are much more profound and long lasting, Uh, be it uh, uh, acupuncture or uh, herbal medicine that addresses the energy fields of the body. Those kinds of healings are much more profound than uh, dosing somebody with drugs. So, yeah, yeah, that's pretty much it.
1: To new listeners of this show, there's an episode, I think it's 29, but it's called something like Physician Heal Thyself, something like that. And there was a, a doctor on a doctor of chiropractic who very much was a proponent of more alternative medications. Now, I will say, I don't think that show was particularly entertaining, but it was extremely informative and educational. So if you're interested in hearing from a pract- practitioner of about 50 years, uh, he was on. Also, I have a recorded show that hasn't dropped yet, but shall at some point in the near future with a, a true homeopath holistic um, practitioner who talks about a lot of the same things, but you know, almost like practical applications: what you eat, what you do, uh, how you uh, heal yourself. So we're so. Aside from what Cliff just said, there there are other sources. I mean, also outside the show too, but uh, within this show, that's going to help with that journey too. So, I had a guest on a few weeks back, and he was looking at sacred places very much from a scriptural uh, and sacred evangelical perspective. But but indicated that on the thirty third point third parallel, there are these portals. Uh, of almost like anti-energy, like almost anti-positive energy, like the Devil's Triangle and Area 51 and the Bermuda Triangle were all on the same parallel. And then somewhere else I saw somebody say that they were 12 and they named the Bermuda Triangle. The other guy said four, one guy said 12. I don't know if either one of them are is entirely accurate or, or, or you know, if it's true or not, but do you know anything? Is there anything special about the 33rd and a 3rd parallel?
2: I don't follow that, but what I do follow is that uh, in certain cities uh, of Egypt, uh, and one of the cities is Luxor, there is a temple there that has a, uh, they they tell us that there's a stargate. And the stargate sits on top of one of these telluric fields, and there was a time when that temple was fully active, and uh, if you um, did some form of meditation and also um, energy manipulation, you could walk through that door and be transported to another part of the earth or another part of the gal- of the um, yeah of the cosmos like another planet um, quite easily and this gets back to a whole nother science the science I keep talking about that we don't understand. So stargates are also seen in Mayan temples as well as uh, recently it was mentioned that uh, in some of the early Sumerian temples, they had stargates. So, you know, we have TV and movies about them, but if they actually were active is anyone's guess. Now, when we go to Egypt every year, our uh, guide, uh, Muhammad Imbriam, is very outspoken about these stargates. In fact, there's a, a, a very uh, famous temple in um, uh, Dendera. It's called the Hathor Temple. And when you get to the top floor, just before you get to the roof, there is a huge door. And I, above the door is a, uh, a, a complete... Rendition of the astrological cycle, and the French in the 1700s took part of that, and you can see it in the Louvre, a museum in Paris. But the uh, the Stargate in that temple apparently was so active that uh, they used it uh, on a regular basis. The the uh, the priests would send pharaohs and the royal family all over the place using that Stargate. And, and uh, I actually had a chance to touch it. And I'm fairly sensitive to energy. I didn't feel anything. But we had a couple of people a few years ago that actually touched the door, and they got zapped. Like you zap somebody. <laughs> so something's going on there, you know. And this, and this wall is uh, made out of uh, red uh, granite. It's beautifully carved. But red granite is one of the hardest, uh, ig- igneous rocks uh, in the world. So it's, it's a beautiful door.
1: I hope they didn't have pacemakers. <laughs> uh, exactly. On that same parallel, I just remembered that the, that the gentleman, by the way, it, the, the episode, again, I keep saying for new listeners because thankfully our listenership has increased like 500% in the last couple of months because we... Cool. Yeah, thankful to the Wrestling Soup Network and to the Rational Rage Network, which picked us up and introduced us to a lot more people, which is great, um, but the episode I'm talking about is The Giant Revelation, and that guest is Reverend Jim Willemson, and I'm not saying that you necessarily have to agree with him, but it, it's it's interesting stuff to listen to, but one of the places he said on the same parallel was a mountain, and, I, and I'm ashamed I don't remember the name of the mountain, but it's like in northern Lebanon on the Syrian border, I'm wondering maybe. Like, Amran comes to no,
2: mind.
1: Mount, uh, Mount Amrad. That's the one. That's the one. Yeah. You, you know anything about that?
2: Yeah. Well, that's where they um, believe they found year, years ago. About ten years ago, I had a uh, salvage engineer who wrote a book about Mount Ararat, and they he pr- proposed that he had found Noah's Ark there, and uh, he found what looked like the Remains of a massive hull of a ship, up in the up in the mountains, you know, way up in the mountains.
1: Uh, and this whatever. is not Ararat. This is this is a different mountain. This is not Ararat. Just for the listeners. Oh, please. okay,
2: yeah. Uh, but anyhow, uh, there is some really weirdness up in those in those mountains. There's a lot of UFO activity. There's a lot of strange uh, electrical discharges, unusual lightning storm in a part of the world that is fairly uh, uh, dry and temperate. So strangeness going on there.
1: And that episode had a lot to do with, it was sort of tied to the Nephilim Anthropology Conference in the UK, and it had a lot to do with uh, the Nephilim and the the giants, which to me, I, I find these things to be, inseparable from talking about the anunnaki i i find there to be so many parallels um but I, I think the portal in in if i remember correctly the the in this case it was a portal but also a way to get to the inner earth where where he surmised that the giants either live now or, or emerge from He took a very literal version of the bosom of Abraham that it was actually that the bosom meant like a wallet where you basically held your stuff close to your bosom back in those times. And so when they said the bosom, it wasn't like metaphorical, I keep you close to me, that it actually meant a pocket and it was a pocket in the earth. It was anyway, people can listen for themselves. But um, and actually he's going to be on a future episode. I've actually already recorded it. And he goes into that again, even though that show was supposed to be on scripture and science fiction which it mostly was but he he did go into his other stuff too which is okay as well um and obviously i need a reminder so uh, some of the other sacred places i mean i've heard anger Wat. i have heard of uh you know obviously machu picchu um but it seems like there's like they found uh circles i know in the great lakes um in in southern africa throughout southern africa we've got uh Circles and it seems like circle, you know. Obviously, I always say a rumbo, but gobleckly go Gobekli uh,
2: go back, go teppy, yeah.
1: Go tepe. Um, the it seems like the a lot of the structures there were circular as well, or at least the communal central feature was circular. And then I think like 20 miles or 20 kilometers away, they found uh, a similar site that may be larger or at least, uh, at least similar. So these the circles seems to be, uh, you know, one of those universal uh, cult- pan-cultural things, which, you know, I, I, I don't believe that much in coincidences with that kind of thing.
2: Yeah, Gobekli Tepe is a, is a really fascinating place and uh, the historians are still uh, questioning the validity. It was dated to over 12,000 years ago. And it's so sophisticated for that time frame. Uh, And the problem that orthodox science has with it, orthodox archaeologists have with it, is that in their historical notions, 12,000 years ago, we were hunter and gatherers. We didn't have the brain capacity to build uh, or carve megaliths uh, to chart cosmology, which is part of... uh, Gobekli Tepe. Now, the other thing that's really unique about Gobekli Tepe is that it's a huge, huge piece of property. They've only excavated maybe 15 percent, and there's uh, a whole bunch of other circular structures that are close by that haven't been excavated, and it it could really be quite telling about our future. If they un. Uh, if they excavate another one of these circular encampments and they find uh, detailed writing uh, or scrolls of some kind that really let us know what was going on uh, 12,000 years ago. Now, that's the end of the last Ice Age. Uh, So uh, that could really foretell for some amazing uh,
1: revelations. Yeah. And I think when people talk about the Ice Age, they, they sort of forget that the Ice Age hit its critical points at different places at different times because the glaciers receded. They just didn't all disappear overnight. They, they receded, which is why we have uh, islands and mountain carvings and passes and some of the rivers. So when you hear flood myths, and they're not all necessarily within the same you know uh, century or even millennia, That's because they receded slowly, just like they advanced slowly. Um, So while the flood myths may not be uh, chronologically around the same time, that is perfectly consistent with how glaciers move and and retreat. Um, You know, I I think in some cases it's just a few inches a year. Um, So, uh, and, and, and I think anything more than that is considered, you know, sort of, catastrophic or, or i guess if you're on the the retreat side maybe uh salvational um so all right so i i know that you know your show is just not supposition that you have evidence and that there's historical support for some of these things so if you could so, sort of visit some of the hot topics or highlights um you know of what kind of evidence and you know yeah. you've got a ton so, of guests on
2: uh I'm writing an article for uh, ancient, Ali- ancient Aliens, uh, uh, ancient origins magazine. It's called the, um, uh, the temple of Ele- the temples of Elef- uh, Elephantine Island, which is in Aswan, Egypt. And, uh, it is, uh, from all purposes, very, very old, uh, older than the old kingdom, which is around 5,000 years old. Um, uh, and uh, what they found there, and I, I was there with a tour uh, back in 2019. Uh, what they uh, found there uh, is two small temples cut from white granite, and they're laying on their side. Uh, the university, uh, I think it's the um, the German Institute of Archaeology is, has been excavating there for about 10 years. and there was some massive explosion there because these two small temples are uh, on their side. Each of them weighs approximately three tons. One of the temples has been blown to smithereens, and that's that's saying a lot for by itself because a two-point-five-ton granite box, which is what this temple looks like, uh, is so. Heavy that whatever the force was that dissolved it or blew it up must have been significant. So, some something blew it up. But the uh, the article gets into the details of how this temple was cut from a single block of granite. I have the forensic engineer Jim O'Conn analyze uh, the makeup of the temple and. Uh, he cannot discern the tools or how it was cut. It is so uh, unique and so fresh. It looks like it, it was placed there yesterday. And what makes it fascinating is that it has a roof. It has uh, three sides and a center opening. It has a stairway. It's a small temple. You can fit maybe three or four people on the entrance, Um, but it is cut with a level of precision that is equal to what we have today, except that the stone is so hard that you couldn't use uh, common uh, saw blades to cut. And Jim O'Conn's analysis, I haven't got the full analysis, but so far He's thinking that was some form of cutting torch that cut it because the the corners and the radiuses are so perfect uh, that there's no way that a copper chisel and wood mallet could have cut it. So uh, this is a technology that we run into when we start looking at the uh, pyramid culture of uh, Egypt. The Great Pyramid at Giza The Bent Pyramid at uh, uh, Sawa and the other small pyramids in uh, Northern Egypt are all cut with a level of precision that doesn't make sense to uh, orthodoxy. The reason I'm writing the article is that there are so many questions that come about uh, about, uh, in in the manufacturing techniques of this temple, of these temples, and um, the article is, is uh, I'm almost done with it, but it is a real eye-opener uh, on the science and technology from the science, how it was applied and uh, how old these temples are likely to be. Because Elephantine Island is mentioned in the Old Kingdom 5,000 years ago, but it looks like this place is at least 10, 15, perhaps 20,000 Years old, which would make it mind boggling old.
1: Yeah, I remember reading an article probably three or four years ago, and I don't think it was related to your site, it was from somewhere else. Um, and I might have posted anyway that they had found fossil evidence along in the, the stones along the base of the pyramids, indicating the fossil evidence that they may be nine or ten thousand years old, and that there was so much of it, it, it and the way it. it, it was embedded and around it. It's not like someone just got lucky and found and threw that kind of soil around that area. That there was more likely a, a natural occurrence back when um, the, these these pyramids may have been underwater for some period of time, and and it, it it was consistent with that kind of finding. I'm not sure if I'm if my words are giving it justice, but it is. No, you make
2: a, You make a good point because uh, ten years ago, um, uh, Robert Shock. Uh, along with uh, John Anthony West uh, did an analysis of some of the outer uh, uh, portions of the Great Khufu uh, Pyramid and there is saltwater residue about halfway up the pyramid which means that it was covered in saltwater for some period of time. We don't know how long it was but it really brings up a lot of questions and There's also uh, evidence on the interior chambers of the Great Pyramid. The Great Hall, the King's Chamber, the Queen's Chamber, have residue of salt water uh, that has been analyzed and is from actual actual salt water. So how did it get in there is the big question that everyone asks.
1: That's for sure. And for anyone out there who's thinking, well, maybe the rocks they used as bricks were just found from underwater. Uh, just remember the last time you tried to pick up a rock from underwater. It's about 50 times harder than it is from, you know, above ground, and those stones are pretty big, and moving them themselves is a fairly Hercule- Herculean task, um, which is still speculated on exactly how it was all moved, and there's only theory. So, if you think that they found thousands of rocks underwater and were able to successfully get them, uh, that, I mean, either you have to agree with, with Cliff, that there's enormous technologies with, like, really subterranean cranes that could do that, um, or these structures were actually underwater for some parts, so they're older than orthodoxy says. I mean, which is the simpler explanation? It's that they were underwater for some period of time. Um, So, you know the outside of the pyramids and and how they were built is is really you know amazing as well. But I actually had the guest of the history of Africa on and and he made a point. Well, you know it, it not when you see that they built smaller pyramids first and they had lots of failed pyramids beforehand and and that was impressive and I I it is you know fairly persuasive. However, I you know what most of us don't know about and I didn't know about you know or at least I did and I never really made an impression was just how intricate the interiors of the pyramids are. To me, building that kind of structure in those times with that kind of interior design and architecture with secret passages and, and not just inside the pyramid itself, but underneath. There's there's subterranean chambers and subchambers and uh, almost like... Um, uh, what of What's the word? Almost like plumbing, uh, aqueducts, yeah. and, and things like that. Um, so you know, it it was it was like they were architects, engineers, and interior designers uh, w- with an eye towards the extremely creative involved. And I don't know, it's just it's mind blowing. You know, that it could be done without computers and advanced technology, and and you know, well, just, what
2: makes the, the the Great Pyramid fascinating is that. We, are look, we get the information from archaeologists who are not scientists. When you look at it from an engineering point of view, uh, and a greatest example of that would be Chris Dunn, who's a NASA engineer uh, and who uh, builds the uh, tools that are used in the, in the spacecraft and understands tight tolerances of metal and stuff. When he wrote his book, The Great Giza Power Plant, He went into these chambers. He went into the subterranean uh, uh, section underneath the Great Pyramid. And his analysis was that this is a giant machine. Because the tolerances are so close, why would you build that for a tomb? Why would you have tolerances that are, uh, 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 you know, so tight that you can't pass air or water or fluids through they have to basically retain fluids, and uh, his analysis of the pyramid was that it was some kind of device, some kind of an energy-producing device. The The chambers of the, the queen, the king's chamber, all have uh, vents that perhaps had liquid. I mean, he believed that the queen's chamber was filled with liquid hydrogen because he uh, did an analysis of the walls, and there's uh, uh, bits and uh, particles of hydrogen molecules, uh, and also in the King's Chamber, they're similar, there's water in there. So he believes and has done, uh, written a number of books and articles that uh, the uh, the entire structure, this massive pyramidal structure, was used to generate huge amounts of energy. Now, we don't know how it was dispersed, uh, but in the last two years, in fact, in 20, excuse me, three years, 2017, well, it's more than three years, uh, a consortium of scientists, Japanese and French scientists, scanned the Great Pyramid and found a massive void in the upper third of of the pyramid that cannot be explained. And uh, they also uh, discovered a lot of really uh, tight tolerances in the stonework, uh, which doesn't make sense if it's a tomb. Uh, Egyptologists have a real problem with science because it tends to throw a wrench in their belief that, you know, uh, the simplistic answers are the best. Tombs, uh, copper tools and chisels uh, are their way to go. And they, they just... They just do not like the sophisticated technological uh, answers to questions that they pose or ruins that they discuss. So,
1: yeah. And a, th- a couple things I want to say to the audience, and I think that they know this but intuitively, but maybe it has to be said, not everything that ends with ology is a science it just means it's a study of uh, and there's and there's a different just because things end with ology or ologist doesn't make it a science it just means that somebody studied something then you know you have astronomy and you have astrology so i mean i think people know this intuitively but when they hear ology or ologist they think well he's saying it's not a scientist but i heard ology and that that that's science it's not it's not it just means the study of and and i'm not saying that as a pejorative or as a compliment i'm just stating, stating as a matter of fact um one of the things I really enjoy about Cliff and your show is that you name names, you have names, you have the guests on. A lot of people who talk about the same kind of things that you talk about and are in what people would talk about, let's just call it alternative theory, alternative science they're like me. They're hobbyists. I, I'm not an expert on anything. I'm a lazy intellectual. This is why I love podcasts. I can consume a <laughs> ton of information without working too hard. I don't have to read anything. I don't have to watch a two and a half hour movie on YouTube and then six others to get different opinions. I can I can just listen. And but Cliff has the people who writes the book, so. Listeners, if you listen long enough, you unfortunately I've done a few solo shows, and I say unfortunately because I hate doing solo shows. But one of them I called it Book Reports, and I I read Chariots of Fi- uh, Chariots of the Gods, and I did a report on that. And in that same show, I read Avi Loeb's Extraterrestrial, and I did a little review of, of of what he said. Well, I did that because Avi Loeb's publicist was kind enough to send me a copy of the book. Avi Loeb appeared on Cliff's show, so that that's the difference. You're this is the difference between you know. Uh, uh, Jay Leno or D- David Letterman getting the guest, and me, I get the book. So, but at least I got the book. I mean, that, that by the was... way,
2: Avi Loeb's going to be back in the fall, uh, Jeff, and he has an article and a new book. And I had his article posted. He has written an article on uh, 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 that the astrophysicists and the uh, government should write peace treaties with aliens. And it blew me away. It's like, well, what? Do you know something we don't? Are we already involved speaking with aliens? Well, he wrote this amazing article about the reasons we should be writing peace agreements with alien civilizations.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I saw that. And I read that article, and I think I posted on Garden of Doom's uh, Facebook page. We don't have a group, but we have a page. Um, yeah, and I'm very jealous that, that you not only have them once but twice. Um, but all right, maybe he'll send me the article, or his publicist will. But uh, no, that, that's very cool. And you know, for those who don't know, Avi Loeb is a, is the head of a Harvard Department on Astrophysics. Um, so th- this isn't just you know some guy from X Y Z University in in the middle of you know uh, Mali or something. Um, so anyway, not that there's anything wrong with being at the, the University of Mali. It's just you know Harvard is Harvard. Um, so, yeah, that, that's incredible. I wonder if he knows other things. But he went from an extraterrestrial saying, you know, this is likely dead extraterrestrial technology that made its way through our universe, but dormant, to we should be actively writing peace treaties. I, I, listen, I think that. Oh, yeah. Be- he,
2: he actually found the Omao Mawa asteroid. And what makes uh, Dr. Lope unique is he's the only astrophysicist. That took the analysis from a series of uh, telescope arrays around the, the, around the world and with his team showed that it wasn't an asteroid, that it was a piece of, uh, of space junk from another civilization. And what makes his analysis so amazing is that the space junk actually changed its trajectory as it entered our solar system. So... It came out of our solar system from another uh, 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 planetary system, entered our solar system, passed through. All of our uh, Earth's uh, satellites were on automatic, and when it came by, we had like 20 telescopes scanning it. But we didn't even know it had come until, you know, six, eight months after it left. And he analyzed all the data and he showed it as to be a, a, a piece of space junk, but even more sophisticated, it's a solar sail. It has a sail attached to the body of a craft. So when you see the Obama, 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 Obama um, uh, illustration that he proposed, it's really pretty
1: cool. Yeah, but be careful when you say that because it uh, shows that we're not alone, man. It's pretty cool. Yeah, it changed directions. And he showed how it didn't change directions the way other things sometimes do, like comets, because there was no there was no tail. There was no discharge of the the you know, changing directions a little bit is not that odd when it's impacted by gravity, but you see Ice and stuff melt off of it and create a tail, which is, I guess, what causes. I guess it's sort of like moving a rudder. And 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 he showed that no, they w- there was none of that. It, it's not possible. And also, like the the reflections of sunlight off it showed a almost an impossibly flat shape, um, almost like a pancake shape. Which I mean, yeah. if anyone's seen asteroids or planets, I mean they're generally round or roundish. This was like a, almost like figure like a a, a slice of baloney like there was a you know that kind of uh, cut would be well uh astronomical inth um but yeah an interesting book and and yeah interesting guy and well uh, you should subscribe to a show and you'll hear the man speak himself about that so that that's amazing um I personally think we should be prepared for anything to the extent that we can though I'm I'm not sure that there's much that we can do about it if if they if they come knocking. So, well I mean that's the big thing and and
2: I uh as a conference uh director for years had the who's who of UFO and alien uh, interaction even some scientists that uh had like um Stanton Friedman, who passed away a couple of years ago, was a foremost ufologist. He was a regular at our show. But what made it really challenging for me is that 30 years ago, 50 years ago, 100 years ago, we still had sightings. We still saw UFOs in the sky. Occasionally they landed and they reported that that they had landed. But I'm at the point now where it's like I'm tired of 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 looking at them. Land on the planet, come out, say hi, we're here. And by the way, we're from this planetary system or we're from that planetary system. Because that's when all bets are off. That's when we begin to evolve as a species because we go from, hey, we're the only ones in the universe. And you know, God created us, there's nobody else. Well, when it's another planetary system and they're Citizens come from planet X to say hello, earthlings. Then we know and we can begin thinking about our evolution. How far advanced are this, are, is this a civilization? What is their technology behind the crafts they have? It changes everything. And that's where I am right now. I'm really like, tell us, you know, land and show us what you're all about.
1: That's, well, that's totally where I'm at. Cliff is an optimist, so he is the garden. This <laughs> and you know what? I'm going to try to avoid being too doomy, so I'm not even going to go with the counter on that. I'm going to I'm going to let that sit because I respect you so much, and I like this. I like this garden approach. I've been trying to be a little bit more gardeny this year um, <laughs> than doomy. Um, so let's talk about some interesting stuff that that nobody can really argue about, at least some of the existence of. But we have learned. Without a shadow of a doubt, that the Neanderthals were not big dummies. They were not like trolls. They they had art. They had culture. Um, this hundred thousand year war between Homo sapiens sapiens and Neanderthals wasn't so much a war as an interbreeding. You know, almost like assimilation type of thing. For a while it was thought that, that they were the stronger ones, but but we had the tools, so we beat them because we had better spears, or sort of like 2001 A Space Odyssey kind of scenario in slow motion. But it, it, the conventional thinking is that, no, we, that we just sort of uh, uh, absorbed them, you know, maybe we made more babies than they did, but we just sort of uh, absorbed them in, into... Our culture. So, what what's your take, or what's, what do you have to add about the Neanderthals? And then we're going to go into some of the other less known other uh, hominids, uh, modern hominids that we're only really first scratching the surface of.
2: The, the Neanderthals are uh, an interesting hominin uh, for many reasons. First of all, they were uh, built for survival. They're heavier bones. They're bigger than Homo sapiens sapiens. Their their brain is bigger. Yep. Which is interesting. It's like, how in the hell did we survive when our competitors, the Neanderthals, were physical specimens uh, for, built for, for survival? That's always been a
1: question. Um, I, have but, a, I, I don't want to interrupt, but, but I'm going to. Because I have a really Occam's razor theory on that. Because they were built for survival and they were these big, tough people and we weren't, we were just prettier. That that they wanted to make us because <laughs> we were we were gentle. Our 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 women were more attractive and our men were more attractive. They were gentler looking, just like how elves in Lord of the Rings look prettier now. You know, look prettier than the men and the dwarves did in that movie. That uh, maybe we look prettier, and the and the Neanderthals wanted to get busy with us instead of each other.
2: Well, I think that they have analyzed uh, us, Homo sapiens sapiens, and we do have some genetic disposition of Neanderthal. So, we picked up through interbreeding, uh, uh, bits and pieces, perhaps uh, that survival instinct, perhaps um, uh, unknown capacities of of our brain or physiology, how we process food, how we excrete toxins. That could be all part of Neanderthal. We don't have the technology to know that yet. I think... Someday I mean, we've, we've plotted the genome of Homo sapiens sapien, but because there's no Neanderthals left, we can't plot their genomes. We don't know specifics. But my best guess is that we do have the best parts of the Homo, of the uh, Neanderthals. Uh, we just don't know it. <laughs> they
1: were pretty much only in Europe, right?
2: Uh, in Europe, but they've found them in, uh, in China. Uh, they are also in parts of uh, isolated parts of Southeast Asia. So they migrated as well. Yeah. There's also questions about the uh, inception point. The out of Africa theory is uh, now in question. There is evidence of very, very early hominins in China. There's very early, early unusual hominins that are just being discovered in Australia. And these are very unusual. They have uh, our brain size, except that they're smaller and they have thinner bone uh, and much older. So they may have appeared, and this is a a theory that uh, a lot of scientists have now, is that the earth had a different gravitational field and had lighter gravity, so these smaller hominins were able to exist. Uh, and then as the Earth changed its orbital field and got closer to the sun, the gravity shifted and those hominins were not a- able to survive. This also goes to the, um, the Paracas people that have these extremely large craniums. And the theory now is that the, uh, the Paracas people were not able to survive because the Earth's environment shifted to such a degree that they were not able to, uh, to uh, procreate. Who are the Paracas people? The Paracas people of Peru uh, are this species that have 30% more brain matter than we do. They have very elongated skulls. And when they were discovered about 50 years ago, uh, people were amazed because they all first thought it was head-binding. Right, right, right. Uh, which is which is a practice that um, a lot of sophisticated ancient cultures use to venerate their gods. But the Paracas people actually were born with these imme- immense craniums, uh, 20 to 30% more brain matter than, uh, than we have. And uh, they lived in a, an area of Paracas, Peru, and built very unusual uh, pyramidal structures. Uh, they had... A language and they look to it looks like they were uh, into cosmology as well studied the constellations and things like that but it's they had the longest craniums on record which means that they had the
1: largest brains on record was there any overlap between the practice people and homo sapiens sapien in in south america the big issue
2: that I have is there's a a couple of scientists. Uh, well, they're not scientists. Uh, there's a research inv- investigator who's on Ancient Aliens or not. His name is Brian Forrester, who's a foremost authority. He has not gotten permission to take a full skeletal remainder of a practice person and have it correctly analyzed. What he has discovered is that they were taller than us. They had. Uh, heavier bone mass big jaws Uh, they had an extra rib Mm -hmm. uh, and they may have had um, a different uh, interior organ set up than we did they had maybe perhaps different organs Uh, it makes a lot of people believe that they could have been a alien race that came to earth and was kind of like uh marooned or something because they're so out of place. And that's why you don't hear a lot about them. But they're fascinating. They're massively, uh, their craniums are massive. And uh, we have a we have a, a couple of um, regular guests uh, uh, that are artists. And one of them, her name is Marcy McKenna, uh, has reproduced a complete head of what these people look like. And they are really quite fascinating. <laughs> so,
1: well it, well, it sounds almost like the description of the alien from Alien without the exoskeleton. So,
2: well, yeah, I, without opening the mouth and another, you know, killing people. You know, oh, uh, well,
1: maybe. <laughs> yeah. no, probably not. But the, I mean, the extra organ. I mean, you know, I, you know, I, I love all things weird, including like vampires. So, you know, the extra organ and how they uh, deal with blood and whatever. But uh, I, I was just asking about the overlap, or if it's even close time-wise, which obviously we don't know the answer to yet. But I'm wondering, is that the origin of of those gods? You know, is that is that where they got those the idea of those gods from? These bigger, stronger, smarter beings that that existed either you know close enough behind them that they found their remains, or existed alongside them for a while and then disappeared or whatever. But that that's a fun topic for another day, I suppose. If you
2: study the Hindu Vedas, they uh, talk about Earth's cyclic system. This is why I'm more focused on ancient uh, Hindu uh, uh, history than I am with current history, because they talk about the cyclic nature of Earth. And if you read the Vedas, they talk about civilizations that appeared and then disappeared. And It's hinted that with every cycle of human, humanoid that appears on earth, the earth's a a different kind of earth, which translates to different gravity, different environment to grow food, uh, different living conditions being air uh, and and, uh, water and the, the soil and things like that. So each cycle... These ancient cycles, and we're talking hundreds and millions of years, um, produced different types of hominins. And so when we look at the Paracas people, that's probably what happened to them. They arrived or they were developed thousands and thousands of years ago in a separate track from Homo sapiens sapiens. Sapien, and... Uh, we're not able to survive because of environmental conditions.
1: Yeah, the VEDA is, is definitely on my list of to do to try to find experts in, in that area. because um, yes, uh, again, being the lazy intellectual, I, I want to find someone who can tell me about it rather than to explore it myself. Um, the other people who, it, it's not even controversial that they exist anymore, but the Denisovans,
2: Yeah, that's a big one on our show. We have some of the experts on there. A guy named Andrew Collins has written extensively about uh, the Denificens, and um, it's very much guesswork. They have what do we have right now? We have a molar, we have a pinky finger, we have uh, part of a jaw, and what makes it unique is we have some of their jewelry all found in Siberia in the last uh, seven to eight years. And uh, uh, Andrew Collins believes that they were at minimum eight feet tall, uh, 300 plus pounds, um, highly intellectual, probably came from a whole society that was destroyed in the the great flood, the great deluge. Um, His belief is that they were the ones who, uh, created and ran Gobekli Tepe as an educational learning center. Uh, He believes that Gobekli Tepe was what you would call a reboot center. And there are a number of these centers in different parts of the world where the survivors of Earth's deluge came to be re-educated on agriculture, uh, basic civil uh, development, uh, law-giving, and animal husbandry, all the keys to civilization were taught at Göbekli Tepe, and there's other places, uh, perhaps in China, uh, Central South America, that we don't know about. I know for a fact, as a Mayanist, that the Maya uh, uh, developed in two phases: is the Pre-Maya, who built the biggest pyramids. Uh, we have uh, El Mirador. The pyramids at El Mirador are as big as the uh, pyramids at uh, Giza in Egypt that are massive, massive, very sophisticated. And we, those people were so sophisticated, we don't know, uh, we haven't deciphered their language. Post-pre-Maya, we do have their language. But uh, I think that the Maya survived the deluge, Uh, And uh, were able to reboot their civilization. But they lost all that pyramid technology, uh, which is significant because uh, I have uh, my mentor, who was a Mayan elder, said in the heyday, there were over 52,000 pyramids from the Yucatan to Honduras, 52 active pyramid (laughs) communities. 52,000 so and what we have left that are still working is about 5,000 so we've got to get on the ball and figure out how those things work but uh yeah so so I, I kind of diverge there so uh yeah there, the survival uh and uh, uh of, of the civilizations and what kind of humanoid was left is anyone's guess is what you know so the didificens probably went the way of some of those early hominins um, that we find bones for. But I'm waiting the, uh, for us to find a full
1: skeletal remains so we really get a sense of them. Yeah, for sure. But for now, we can do some rank fun speculation, which is really more my area than yours. Um, but, the, I mean, to me, that description sounds a lot like the giants, the heroes of renown that uh, are described in Genesis, you know, the Anunnaki, uh, you know, I mean, a, a, a lot of things can come from that. But also, you know, it, even in the Atlantis myth, I think part that I, I only learned recently, and I, I hope it's correct, so I hope I learned it rather than just heard it, is that the Atlanteans went to war with a culture in the East and lost. Well, that that could be the, this, I'm saying it wrong, the the Denificens, um, you know their their culture. Maybe the, you know maybe it was a similar people, similar statute. Uh, Could have been survivors. Now that's one of the big stories uh,
2: uh, on uh, pre dynastic Egypt is that the survivors of Atlantis came and settled in Egypt and brought their technology. And this is the technology that we see at the uh, Osirian. Uh, We see it at the Great Pyramids. We see it at the uh, various temples that are constructed from megalithic stone. Now, when you go to some of these places, like I mentioned earlier, the Hathor Temple in Dendera, it is composed of slabs of granite, average weight of 2.8 tons. How they lifted those up 50, 60 feet in the air to create a roof is anyone's guess. But... If you take a, uh, a compass, a regular navigational compass, and place it on the floor of the Hathor Temple, uh, the Isis Temple, the best temple at Dendera, that sucker starts spinning. Oh, wow. Which means that it's on a, it's on a major energy field. The other thing that makes it, uh, and it's never brought up, and this is why it really is a challenge for me to hear from uh, Egyptologists, is that. The uh, slabs that make up the entire floor of most of the temples are pieced together with key, what they call keys, which are um, uh, pieces of unknown metal that are, uh, cl- that are clamped to the uh, slabs so they don't move. And you only see those in very, very ancient places in Peru, China, and Mexico, and they're in these temples in Egypt. Those clamps mean that those temples are at least 10,000 years or earlier. My guess is in, you know, tens of thousands. Uh, My uh, tour guide believes that Hathor Temple is 200,000 years old. Now, I don't use that kind of language on my podcast because I have uh, a lot of uh, 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 college, you know, anthropologists and, and people that would flip out, but <laughs> I let my guests, I let my guests bring it up, and I will quietly nod when I hear those
1: kind of things. Yeah, that, yeah so that, that's a shocking, enormous number, but it, 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 it's not different than, than the Sumerian and Egyptian list of their their kings, and of course their kings, you know, had like you know ridiculous long lifespans compared to you know ours uh even by uh you know the beget and begatting section in in the bible but similar i mean you know sort of we sort we see sort of some of the same things but i it just bugs me that everyone everyone knows atlantis that part doesn't bug me and everyone you know everyone says you know it just fell into the sea it sunk into the sea Nobody spends any time on who they lost the war to. I mean, why is that not interesting? I mean, is it because Atlantis was supposed to be close to Europe, while the people they were supposed they lost the war were in Asia, and we and the last three thousand years of history has been mostly Eurocentric, or is it just that somebody made this up one day and there's nothing to it? Uh, I I don't know. I think
2: whenever you talk about Atlantis, uh, the orthodoxy is going to cringe and. In some cases, if you're sitting in someone's office, you may be asked to leave. So, whenever you bring up a culture under that banner, uh, you're automatically relegated to to, uh,
1: to uh, Crazyville.
2: So oh, okay.
1: I'm talking about even in Crazy, even in, in the halls of Crazyville, people aren't talking about who beat Atlantis in a war enough. I want I want to go to Crazyville and I want to talk to those folks about. Well, actually, I want them to come to me, but you know, that's lazy. <laughs> you need to get um, uh,
2: her name's Laura Laura Little, Greg Little's wife, Doctor Greg Little. She took and for your team, San Francisco, Greg Little. Oh no, 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 no! This is Doctor Greg Little, which, by the way, I have been lucky to get him in July. He took. Uh, f- he was funded by A.R.E., which is Edgar Cayce's uh, Institute in Virginia Beach, Virginia. Uh, and if you don't know who Edgar Casey was, he's one of the great psychics at the turn of the century. Uh, 19, 1920s. Uh, I think he died in 1945. But he uh, was able, through psychic vision, to see individuals lives in Atlantis and he collected and wrote a number of books and one book has specifics on Atlantis and the various satellites now Atlantis was in the Atlantic a huge continent but it had satellites in different parts of Africa Central and South America and Dr. Little and his wife Laura used that data dove in the Bimini Islands, dove off the uh, coast of Mexico and discovered ruins of uh, marble buildings. We're going to have him on the show in oh, July. Okay. But he talks about the different technologies that were used and that could also at some point lead into, and I don't talk about war, but you know, if they use this, these weapons on people, it would be a devastating loss. You know, it would be like lasers against bullets, you know. So, and this is why it's really important to study the Mahabharata texts of India because they talk about the great war of Earth against the different cultures. And if you're, an anti, if you're into anti, uh, Atlantis, they probably have an aspect of those people fighting with the Indians, uh, uh, the Indian people that are against off-world types that are trying to take over Earth. The Mahabharata talks about E.T. wars, which is kind of cool.
1: Oh, it's very cool. Yeah, uh, and and I'm sort of supposing that, that maybe those E.T.'s were the same ones who defeated the Atlanteans. Who knows? I, I don't know. I, again, this yeah. is blank speculation. Not good for your show. Perfect for my show. Um <laughs> uh, but I will uh, try to make touch with this uh, Laura Little, and uh, maybe she'll uh, grace me. Uh, okay, back to hard stuff. Not, I mean, as in uh, tangible. The Hoppet people. The, we they've discovered that there's definitely evidence of smaller statured people. I think this was in the Philippines or Malaysia, maybe yeah. both. Malaysia. Yeah. Uh, can uh, what can you tell us about them?
2: Um, I had. Um a anthropologist on, and this is it's really it's really curious. Uh, it looks like there was a, a lab of some kind that was creating a lot of different uh, hominins, and the hobbits were just one. They're a very short-lived uh, a race that only lived I don't know uh, 20, 10 or twenty thousand years or something. And then they disappeared. But I mentioned it earlier that it's not just the hobbit people, but these strange uh, humanoids with very thin bones were developed in, in, some, in a similar area where the hobbits were found. Um, I'm not an expert on, the, on these hobbit types, but um, uh, Dr. Susan Martinez, who I had on the show, wrote a book called The Little People of Earth. And she believed that it is possible that the hobbits were a genetic type of small human that was developed, um, and didn't pass the mustard, didn't couldn't survive the uh, environment. But there are other small human races that were part of Lemuria, which is in the Pacific, and we're talking twenty, thirty, forty hundred thousand years ago Uh, in the in the Mayan culture the little people were extremely bright and uh, you can see examples of the little people at Tulum which is on the Caribbean coast of uh, Mexico in Yucatan and uh, their temples are uh, to get into one of the temples you can't be any taller than three feet tall but it's very cool to see, and it really makes sense. I thought when I first went to Tulum 20 years ago that it was like a, a sanctuary for prayer. And when I had her on my program, it's like, no, no, they were actual temples and dwellings to live in. Well, who in the hell? You had to crawl yeah. to get inside of one of these things. Uh, but the Hobbits were, I believe, an experiment. And a lot of others uh, talk about them too. Now, the um, scientific community chalks them up to, to another hominin on the branch of evo- human evolution.
1: So, Well, there's, there's dozens of pygmy uh, ethnicities that live right now that are uh, small. I don't know if they're that small. but um,
2: Yeah. What, what do
1: you, and it's okay if you don't know it. I know you're not an anthropologist. But what is the scientific name for the, the hobbit people? Oh, I, I, I have it somewhere. I don't know. Okay, uh, if it comes to you, you find it. That's fine. If not, it's all right too. My next one we already talked about, which was the elongated skull people. Now, I I had thought that I read that there was possibly evidence of yet a new people's found a new hominin found, sort of around the same place the 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 the, Nisif- the are were found. Why, why I can't say that now. I don't know. Um, but almost like people X and. You know, w- while you're—I mean, if it's on the, the top of your head or or I'm fabricating it—I also recently saw an article where they found evidence of a new upright being. I'm not going to say a hominin, though it was sort of advertised as such. Maybe in Bulgaria or Albania, sort of sort of around like Thrace—that you know, the, that that part of uh, southeast uh, southwestern Europe, no, southeastern Europe almost with that they call it almost ape-like, but they almost had like three, it was almost like a reptilian, uh, or dinosaur, like uh, print, like three t- uh, bigger toes. Uh, and I posted it and I said, listen, I don't know if this is true. I don't know if this is completely fabricated. I don't know if this is just some Aryan, you know, myth that, that, that people originated in Europe and this is faux evidence, but read the article and judge for yourself. Um, but do you know anything about that or did it, has it not even crossed, you know, your, your eyesight yet? Before, it, it, I,
2: before I answer that, the uh, scientific name for Hobbit is Homo florensis.
1: Right. That's right. That's right.
2: And uh, that, it's a really it's a real interesting topic because uh, it's a fir- it's a fairly sophisticated humanoid, but it's just tiny, tiny human uh it, it would it would be a small two or three year old uh homo sapiens sapiens so um a, a new species in europe uh i i don't know of a, about it uh they are constantly finding skeletal evidence in caves in Siberia so uh there seems to be a uh Humanoid factory there also. Uh, And. uh, These different species. Are being uncovered. Uh, Again. You know. We look at uh, the denificent. What do we have? We don't have a full skeleton. We don't even have a skull. We have fragments. And so there's a. The speculation has to really be. Dialed down. And uh, a lot of people are. 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 Concerned that we're jumping the gun until we really get a sense of, of the level of, uh, of sophistication, you know, uh, of well, these I'm people. Sure
1: I'm, I'm definitely jumping the gun. <laughs> <laughs> well,
2: no, I mean, I have a lot of people on the show that write fairly extensively about him based on very, very limited fact. Uh, they'll go by mythology, describing what they believe was this uh, human
1: by, by uh, the way, I'm very glad when you reject that and you push back on me, because I think it only increases your credibility as a guest, and I, pe- I think people should respect it. I respect it. I'm just playing, but my show is, I mean, it is part factual, but it's also part informational, part entertainment, and I... And so that's what I want to say. When I am jumping the gun, I realize I'm jumping the gun. I'm doing it purposely because that's the fun. That's where you write the comic book. That's where you have Ego, the Celestial, and Guardians of the Galaxy 2 basically stealing the Anunnaki myth, which, which, by the way, I've heard the Anunnaki myth from Sumeria, but also in South Africa, which is geographically pretty close to Lemuria... And South America and Southeast Asia, you know, where you have... And it's funny that you said the, the, the term labs, and that's basically what people say the Anunnaki were doing. They were tinkering, making the, the <laughs> to mine gold or be their slaves or whatever, which I guess ended up yeah. being us. Um, but, you know, it's not that different from the architects from the, the movie Alien, that that mythology line, or any number of any other things that... that, that don't call panspermia, you know, an accident. So, uh, you know. Uh, and That's
2: it's, a it's, whole can of worms right there is panspermia. I mean, I had uh, uh, Dr. Wick, Wick Ramsey, who actually formulated the term on my show. He believes that the pandemic was caused from panspermia. He even wrote a book on it. He also believes that panspermia which for those of, who, of you who don't know what that means, it's, it's intelligently guided uh, microbes from space that bombard the Earth. And on those microbes are little signatures of information, cellular signatures that either touch us and we are evolved from that information or land in the ground and we eat the vegetables that come from the soil that has these, uh, this data in it. And uh, the theory behind panspermia also is that Earth is a lab, a complete lab, and some hu- some ancient or extremely old ET civilization is guiding
1: our evolution, <laughs> or a, or a not so benevolent god. <laughs> it, 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 it could go there. Yeah. It works either way. That, that's. But again. That I'm ranked speculation, uh, Cliff is not. So I'm going to, uh, you know, he's going to...
2: Yeah, but wait a minute, I have fun with it too. I just, uh, I, I just can't settle for speculation. I got to have somebody on the show who's written a book or has been on TV who is supporting the insanity of the speculation. Uh, but it doesn't have to be insanity because a lot of times it's just... It's too far advanced. We're not ready for it. And a few years down the line, all all, all of a sudden, they find evidence for the speculation. So, it becomes famous hypothetical, book. hypothetical, or theoretical. That's what I like to say.
1: Ooh, I like that. It makes me sound less jumpy, the sharky. But yeah, that's what Arthur Clarke said. Magic is just science that hasn't been developed yet. Something like that, anyway. Yeah. Uh, so, all right, so we're, we're not sure about Bul- uh, Bulgaria or Thrace or whatever, so we're going we're gonna to leave that alone, because that, that, I only saw that once, and that's the kind of thing that you see in more than one source. Uh, you know, Even if it is a little bit jumpy, the shark, you still see, some, you still see that in more than one source, so we're going to set that aside. So I'm going to go a little bit out of my order, because uh, Atlantis lately has been tied to the Eye of Mauritania. What, what are your thoughts on the Eye of Mauritania? Or the rehabs, uh structure, I believe they call it.
2: Honestly, I, I haven't even heard. What, well, I don't even know what that is? <laughs> that, oh, that really, one on
1: me. Oh, it's really cool. Uh, uh, Google it, and maybe you know, maybe you'll have someone that wrote a book about it. But it is. It basically is a giant nebula in just on the west of the Atlas Mountains. It, not in Mauritania, though. It's in Morocco. Um, so I don't know why it's called the Eye of Mauritania, other than maybe the whole land was called Mauritania at some point, because it's it's obviously a Greek word. Um, and the thing about it is it, it looks a lot like how we design our quarries these days, except that it's like 25 miles or 25 kilometers in diameter. Whichever it is, it's an enormous hole. And scientists say that it was caused by like a meteorite or an asteroid impact with the Earth, but it's so symmetrical. Uh, that some people are saying that that's where Atlantis was, or that is, you know, that, that was one, that was a closed portal to, uh, you know, the inner earth, but whatever it's, it's, uh, it, it's everything to anyone who wants it to be whatever they want it to be, but it's a cool visual. And, uh, well, let me stop you real quickly. This is the one that's on the, uh, Atlantic coast of uh, Africa, right? It's close. I don't know if it's on the coast or not, but it's darn close, and it is outside of the pillars of Hercules, or at least the theory says that it would have been then.
2: I think that that there was speculation that it could have been Atlantis, but if the the, uh, details are that when Plato describes Atlantis with these uh, uh, cylindrical uh, ports, that the size that this uh, place that you're talking about in Africa... I couldn't measure up, it's too small.
1: Yeah, and also the the I mean the design doesn't seem like it would have been inland. It seems more like the design of like Carthage. When you see the uh, Carthage rebuilt, it, it looks a lot like that. Which right. is also maybe not a coincidence. All right, you mentioned Lemuria. I have touched on Lemuria a couple times in, in this show. I had a, a friend of mine who's actually a listener also say, he said, you had me at Lemuria. Uh, so tell tell us about Lemuria, because I'm sure you do it a lot more justice than, than I could.
2: Uh, Lemuria is uh, a continent that was in the Pacific. Uh, the current dates of its existence are uh, several million Years to its destruction, approximately 20 to 28,000 years ago. Uh, it developed uh, the earliest humanoids, uh, which we don't know if it became uh, Homo sapien or not because the entire continent was destroyed. It may have been part of Africa. This is why Africa has so many strange hominins in it. Uh, But uh, Lemuria, which also uh, went as the the term Mu, M-U, produced a civilization that eventually migrated uh, approximately 20 to 28,000 years ago to Central America. And uh, the Maya, part part of the Maya uh, culture, and by the way, The Maya culture was multi-racial, multi-ethnic, and uh, uh, was made up of a number of different uh, racial types similar to the United States. This is why when you look at their sculptures and their uh, reliefs and their artwork, you don't just see one type of uh, racial type, you see African-centric, Asian-centric, a couple of types of humans that are probably not around anymore, including long heads, people with very long craniums. And then you see these uh, other types that we believe, or a lot of scholars believe, came from Mu, which is um, Lemuria. So when they came over, they brought with them their their technology. And this is uh, important to realize because... uh, Uh, many of the Maya pyramids are very, very sophisticated. We only look at them from the outside, but about 10 years ago, NASA began scanning pyramids in the Yucatan, including Chichen Itza, Uxmal, uh, Koba, and they found that these pyramids had inner chambers that had unusual what looked like technology at one time, or uh, what is considered housing. Housing is the Support for technology—you plug something into it. So there was housings inside these temples, uh, and and my mentor talks about the uh, science and the uh, uh, humanity that the Lemurians b- brought to um, to the Yucatan and the Maya. But also, there's a lot of thought that the uh, migration from Lemuria also was part of the eventual Atlantis. So, uh, and that, this is the thing that I always tell people that isn't really thought about. You know, look how far we've come in 200 years uh, in, on Earth. Uh, we have, you know, we're, we're considered pretty sophisticated. Think about a, a culture that has 1,000, 5,000, 10,000 years of research. What kind of technology are they going to develop? It's going to be mind-blowing. It's going to be like fantasy land. And so this is what I think a lot of technology derivatives came uh, to the Maya, perhaps uh, a- ancient uh, uh, uh and other parts of the earth. So, but that's a long, long time ago, thousands of years ago. And so we're lucky. To find any technology now. We find it in the pyramids, which is a big, uh, a big structure. But if you look at the Antikytherian, uh, uh, mechanism that was found off uh, of the Mediterranean, that is a, uh, do you know about the Antikytherian, uh, mechanism?
1: It's I believe the, it's it. the gearbox, right? It's almost like a watch gearbox that they found that was very, yeah, they, cool. they, they reversed engineered
2: that. And it looks like the technology had been around at least a few hundred years. Well, there's no way in hell that the Greeks developed it. And the Greeks came before the Romans. So it's one of those technologies that's inherited. That's a pretty sophisticated piece of technology. And for you guys that don't know what the Antikytherian mechanism is, it is a piece of technology in a copper box that they use to navigate the oceans. It could give them latitudes, it can give them bearings as to where they are based on the stars and the cosmology that they were in, uh, uh, interpreting using this mechanism. So that's anybody- one of those pieces of, of technology that's handed down from a very, very early civilization. Anthica theory, Therian, uh mechanism it's called, you and we look you it up and you can see it they just scanned it again about two years ago, and they found sub gearing that may that meant that they probably had to manufacture it like pour metal in a uh, mold so that they get the tolerances to to have gears working among each other and I think they Tentatively dated that thing to about 4,000 years.
1: And when did we discover it, I meaning modern people?
2: We, we di- uh, it was discovered in 1960, I
1: think the 1960s. Okay. The, the way I think about it because it's hard to envision i don't know if if you or the listeners watch lovecraft country and i'm not really suggesting that they do because i found it to be a giant disappointment after episode one but one of the characters found a box and it was o- and it was sort of the same thing it was like a gearbox and of course when when she unlocked the key she could uh sort of navigate space and time by it but uh, it, it looked uh, to me that's how i picture it uh, which may be entirely wrong but anyway we're going to bridge the gap from taking you from st- sticking with uh, hard reality, and I'm going to bridge you into sort of the the soft world, and then I'm going to I'm going to ask you for some rank speculation. So I'm warning you in advance of this, but I know that you, or, or at least you seem to be a very spiritual person you definitely i i believe that you've talked about some of your your journeys and and shamanistic rituals and the eskadic. i hope i'm pronouncing that record and can you talk to people sort of about what is the 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 uh, yeah, records uh, yeah. Akash, the
2: the akashic records are uh have been known for centuries by ancient cultures the tibetans knew about it the the early chinese uh it is a ba- database of everything that has happened before, during, and in the future of earth and uh when I say a, it's it's like a cloud computing database because it's etheric. you can't see it it's a it's on some level of of uh reality like we're physical reality when we meditate and we go to sleep. We enter a, a different level of reality. The Akashic records are in a level of reality that allows us consciously to connect using certain techniques, but the average person can't really uh, access it because you have to be in an altered state. Now, not an altered state like you're high on drugs. It's a, it's a shift in consciousness. Some people believe that the great inventors and scientists and music composers like uh, Mozart tapped into the Akashic Records and had downloads. But uh, I'm I'm so fascinated by it that I've read, uh, signed up some of the top people who are Akashic experts on my show this summer. That's <laughs> kind of like a couple of shows on Akashic Records. Um, it's important because the ancients knew about it and had a way to tap into it. And I think that it helps us evolve. And what that means is, uh, as a doctor or somebody who's developing uh, health medicines or whatever, can utilize the Akashic Records to, 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 to develop um, medicines for longevity, medicines to cure cancer. Um, uh, medicines to to help with birth defects, things like that, um, but it's all it's all a, a, a time factor. Now, as an example, if we look at uh, Tesla, Tesla developed a wireless electrical system that was so sophisticated he would have put all the power companies out of business. Uh, uh, Wharton Cliff Tower, which he built in Upstate New York was an example of free energy. He got it going. It, it uses telluric energy. It, it's, it's based on, I did a talk on this a couple of months ago. I think he tapped into the Mayan temples and somehow, and perhaps the, uh, the Akashic field, and downloaded the data on how to build this thing. He actually did it. It wasn't uh, an idea. He actually built it. He didn't get it to go because he had to have multiple towers to, to make it work, right? But that tower, and he said it to himself before he, he died, it was too far in advance for itself. It was probably a few hundred, if not more, years in advance of that time period. Remember, Tesla was born in the 19, or 1890s, died... 1942 i think or maybe a little earlier and a brilliant genius just out of control and brilliant you know and the thing that makes him so unique is that he's using natural energy he's, he's not polluting the earth uh which well, when we generate power now it's nuclear power that's po- horribly toxic
1: mm-hmm. you know
2: so uh But Tesla is one of the best examples of tapping into the Akashic field, the Akashic records. Um, I mentioned spiritualists like uh, Madame Blavatsky, uh, Rudolf Steiner, um, I'm trying to think of some others, who regularly developed or were taught how to access the Akashic records. Now, the Akashic records, remember uh are, are everything before in the past current and in the future um i just finished finish, finished interviewing uh a uh, a doctor who wrote a book on the afterlife or what happens when we die in his book, which just came out by the way uh i 'll give you the name of it in a second sure um he talks about when we die uh, that we are constantly learning and we go to these classes and the fundamental focus, the fundamental tool that is used in educating is the Akashic records. So we don't use it as a physical being right now because we, we, nobody really knows how to access it. A few people do. And I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, curious as to why we don't know more. I'm thinking out loud. It's possibly because there could be negative repercussions if you tap in and all of a sudden you create a machine that burns places down or something. I don't know. But isn't it interesting that mm-hmm. this doctor finds that as a spirit, uh, a uh, uh, deceased being on the other side after death, the teaching tool is the Akashic Records. So that's a little highlight. That's a that's about uh, well, that's I, mean, I could do a whole show on it.
1: <laughs> well, I'm sure you will. Um yeah, and, and and I think I got you to cross the bridge in into speculation because we could go into druids, oracles, spear uh, spiritualists medians, shamans, you know, all might be people who are able to tap into the Akashic record as well as scientists and artists and whatnot. And, of course, for you comic book fans, hey, maybe that was the difference between Jean Grey and Phoenix, that she got too much. Um, <laughs> so uh, I actually think that comic books are full of all of these kinds of things that people just look where they want to look. I already talked about Ego from uh, Guardians of the Galaxy 2. I said Ego, but it's, it, they pronounce it, I think, Ego in that. But the, the movie The Eternals that's coming out? That's the Book of Enoch. They just turned 200 angels into seven superhero-like be- beings. I,
2: I totally believe that science fiction, uh, these writers who write science fiction, and, and there's so many great books over the years, are totally tapping into the Akashic Records because I think it's in many cases, like like Dune, they're, they're, the new movie Dune's coming out soon, which I can't wait. Right. I think that planet is, the writer is able to, to grasp in what we call science fiction is actually an aspect of reality. So, uh, you know, and it could be tapping into the Akashic Records before, during, or now in the ancient future. You know, who knows?
1: Well, Dune and Foundation to me are like Game of Thrones before there was Game of Thrones, where they had complete world building, complete cultures, uh, you know, to, to, to mirror... Our own world, where there's tons of cultures and and religions and differing opinions, as opposed to, you know, Star Trek, where it's like all the Klingons are Klingons and all the Vulcans are Vulcans, and they're pretty much all alike. Now I, I know that they've tried to get away with that, uh, away from that as time has gone by, but you know, uh, we always have aliens as sort of being homogeneous while we're heterogeneous and. Uh, uh, no, not so much in Foundation and Dune and, and, and those types of things. Anyway, so I've, I'm successfully taking you into the world of rank speculation, so feel free where where you feel comfortable to uh, join in the world of, of, of fun fiction. So I have heard that the Kaaba of Mecca possibly is extraterrestrial, possibly a meteor or an asteroid. Any thoughts on that?
2: Yeah, uh, we did a show on that a few years ago. Um. Uh, I'm trying to think of the author. He's an Arab uh, who has written about the um, various uh, deities from uh, Muhammad, the Muhammad himself to some of the early uh, classical figures. Um, it's a sacred rock. Uh, and I. We're not Arabs, so we will not be allowed into the sacred chambers of that place. But you can actually see part of it. Part of it is exposed, uh, this rock. Um, I'm trying to think what he said about it. He believed that it was much bigger when it originally was uh, uh, discovered, that it is a meteorite. But it's more than just that it actually appears in his estimation to be imbued with something. And the, the radiation that is coming out of it um, shifts your consciousness. Now, when you watch, have you ever seen a ceremony when there's hundreds of people in the building walking in a huge circle? Yeah. Apparently, when you're uh, moving like that in a circle, you automatically are shifted in consciousness. So you're kind of in an altered state and the, the stone that is in the center, this meteorite or sacred stone uh, is also uh, imbuing you in that chamber. So you're getting, a, you're getting a self-imposed altered state by walking in a circle And then you're being bathed in energy by this stone. Um, And all kinds of weird stuff can happen from uh, people who are shamans by locating, leaving their body and then consciously being in a different place uh, to being given uh, certain attributes, physical attributes. Uh, You know, being able to um, prophesize about the future—you know, uh, all kinds of stuff. (laughs) So (laughs) yeah, that's kind of cool.
1: One slight correction: I don't think that it's limited to Arabs. I think it's—you must be Islamic. You must be of the faith.
2: I think, I think, I think you have to. You can't. I mean, a Westerner is not allowed. Let's
1: just say that. Uh, you might be right about that. I, I I don't know. So anyway, we'll move off of that because neither one of us is, is sure about that. Um, all right, so rank speculation. What do you think the Anunnaki were?
2: <laughs> uh, I, I'm going to brag here just for a little bit. You're right. Typically, I typically don't brag. I knew Zachariah Sitchin personally. And, uh, of course, he was the... Uh, Oh, you got it. Good for you. Yep. Uh I he was the uh author researcher and uh, uh linguistic scientist that uh basically took the Sumerian texts and discovered this whole Anunnaki story. Um I I I have issue with the whole Anunnaki story simply because it seems so fantastic until you talk to people like Michael Tellinger, who actually lives in South Africa, who has actually written about the, the great gold tunnels that are so deep they, they, they have no idea how, I mean, they're miles deep. Uh, and they And also these strange human being, uh, skeletal remains that we find in Africa uh, in these labs, these strange labs. So... Yeah, I think they existed. Um, now, remember, if you read Sitchin, we're talking 400,000 years ago. Mm-hmm. Four hundred. I mean, right there, you, you shut the door on orthodoxy. You shut the door on most scientists.
1: Oh, no, and we you, left orthodoxy on the other side of the bridge. That I well, I'm to- just
2: saying that. I mean, this is why when you mention, you know, the Anunnaki. Now, remember the Anunnaki of the Fallen Angels, yeah, they, 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 they get into
1: they, orthodoxy. There are away. We have a fourth. <laughs> <orthodoxy>. <laughs> Let's
2: well, it's hard for me to go too far off the cliff, but uh I'll, I'll give you I'll take it as far as I can. Um I I, I mean it, it gets into the it gets into alternative science and, and 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 I can speak pretty freely on that because I am a Mayanist and the Maya are the least understood ancient civilization on the planet and uh are in, the interpretations were given of the Maya is so off the wall. It's ridiculous. Anthropologists have them wearing loincloths, cutting each other up, doing blood sports, uh, and being pretty uncivilized. And yet, living in cities that were purposefully aligned to constellations. Mm-hmm. You don't do that unless you have a level of science that is off the chart. And we know this now because they did scans of, of Tikal in Guatemala, and the main civic center at Tikal lines up exactly with the um, uh, constellation of uh, Neptune. Uh, in the, in the, I mean, building for building. Planet for planet, it lines up. What we know now, and we're beginning to understand, is that when you plug in to a constellation like that, you're you're picking up subtle energy. So each temple, each planet aligns perfectly. (coughs) So the Anunnaki likely had similar technology where they understood subtle energy between planets, you know. So you uh, asked me about the Anunnaki. Yeah, mm-hmm. I kind of I like it. I think Sitchin took it to the extreme and wrote like four books on it. Uh, he even went to Mesoamerica and believes that the um, Olmec were kind of uh, 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 aligned with the Anunnaki. So, and that, that's the thing about being a wildcat like him. You can actually justify your theories by, you know, claiming that known civilizations uh, worked with the
1: Anunnaki, so.
2: <laughs> so, there you go. Yeah, actually,
1: I, I spoke to Michael Tellinger, and he's invited on the show, and he said that he's sort of taking a break, you know, of that he's, he's sort of been a little bombarded. So, if you know him and can give him a friendly nudge and say, hey, the Garden of Doom, fun place to be, it's it's cool, that'd be, I would be uh, more eternally and grateful. So... I have a feeling that I'm going to get the same type of answer, but I'm still going to answer you anyway, ask you. Who do you think the Nephilim were, if, if anything? Well, Nephilim, as I've been told, is the... Oh, first. Nephilim. Yeah.
2: Um, well, I think they're the same. That's a fair I answer. That, yeah. That, 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 I, that. I think there's just different interpretations, you know. Okay. I mean, so- Setchin, when he died... Uh, there, there were a number of linguists that said, "Oh, well, you misinterpreted these cuneiforms, which are these stone tablets that the Sumerians wrote on, uh, and you know it, it, they weren't giants, they weren't uh, you know these aliens who came to Earth to mine gold to save their planet." Um, so, yeah, but that's we have a we're we're in a major. Shift in historical knowledge because I think we're getting to the point now where the revelations are going to be so indisputable that uh, uh, the orthodoxy is going to have to shift. Now, I've had a number of scientists, most notably uh, Dr. Kara Cooney, who flat out said on my show, which blew me away. And got her in trouble. (laughs) She said that Egyptology is dead. Okay. And this is a tenured college professor at UCLA, University of Southern California, or USC. Um, So the the shifts uh, are, are happening now when you have tenured professors saying, you know, you're crazy. And it's gotten so bad that... In Egypt, they do not allow, unless you pay millions of dollars, ground penetrating radar to be used at any of their temples. Well, we know why because they can't explain the tunnel system that's underneath the Giza Plateau, the tunnel systems that, that's under Dendera, the tunnel system that, that's under every major temple complex along the Nile, that's, you know, an old kingdom. So, yep. and, and those tunnel systems were used to, to transport huge quantities of water, conducting, it's a great conductor, and they passed them underneath these temples, to really juice these temples. So, when they were active, and you had a disease process going on, cancer, arthritis, whatever we have today, and you walked in certain parts of the temple, it was blasted in your body. You were blasted. This is also fascinating to consider. If you read the Bible and some of these older texts, people lived, according to the Bible, hundreds of years.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: You know? Enoch. Um, I'm trying to Listen think of some up. of the biblical characters. They lived 800, 1,000 years. Noah. Noah! Noah was, sp- was supposed to have lived 800,000 years. So, I think a lot of these temples were, uh, and I'm told, were actually healing apparatuses. So, there you go.
1: So, okay, the so the Anunnaki and the Thelon, probably the same. So, the, I, I have a feeling that we're going to get similar answer for all, but who knows. Um, the... The people from the that were in the vanilla, so they called the Veda, or what, or, or what were they called?
2: Vamanas yeah. are in the Vamanas are a technology that you can read about in the Mahabharata text, which is the great the great war for
1: Earth. And but those people that were manning those ships, if, if we presume them to be, well, we don't have to presume them to be accurate. What, what do you what do you think those folks were? Those people. They were Indians. They
2: were India. But at a time frame equal to what we would consider the last phases of Atlantis, uh, 20,000 to 12,000 years ago, the Vamanas were uh, flying craft developed using a propellant, which is uh, liquid crystal, or liquid uh, mercury. and Quicksilver. Um, yeah. They... Uh, the the, the uh, army, American U.S. Army, was purported to have found a Vamana in an Afghani cave about uh, a decade ago. And <laughs> the story came out that uh, a number of local dignitaries, in, in, in fact, the president of Egypt, uh, our secretary of state at the time, others were told... Uh, were invited to go and see this craft and uh, what apparently, the story goes that it was still uh, running and there was some kind of an energy force field around it and when some of the guards got too close they were immediately killed dissolved, vaporized
1: Like uh, Uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark
2: (laughs) (laughs) But the funny thing about it is when this story comes out They describe it with great detail, which is kind of curious. And all of a sudden, you didn't hear about it anymore. And the the latest rumor is that it's an Area 51 being studied with some other E.T. craft uh, that they're trying to reverse
1: engineer. Love it. All right, the Giants. Who do you you think the Giants were, if at all? Uh, Let's see. Well, if
2: you you read from Jim Vieira and Hugh Newman's book, World of Giants, or uh, uh, some of the other people—it's—it's it's a race of humans, humanoids uh, that uh, were on the Earth up until probably. I mean, there's scattering stories of of the uh, mid 1800s of giants being found in um, secluded areas of of the Appalachians, Appalachian Mountains. But uh, I think they existed. There's extreme amounts of data in in the form of uh, newspaper articles of of bones of giants uh, as tall as 12 feet uh, in the Americas. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a new book coming out next month by uh, Hugh Newman and Jim Vieira on European giants that were monsters, some as tall as 20 feet, weighing a 1,000 pounds. I can't imagine a person 20 feet tall. Um, so, yeah, there were an offshoot of uh, humanoids. Why we don't see them today, I, don't, I think it's back to uh, environmental conditions. They, they can't survive in our current environment, which is the gravity. I think it's too hard for them. There's a on record, if you do a search, there's a couple of stories of of uh somewhat modern humans that lived at the turn of the century. Uh one guy, I can't think of a name of him, he was a circus freak. I think he was like sixteen feet tall. Wow. And but he had chronic bone malformations and uh I think just the environment didn't support him and he died in his late
1: twenties, so I um, here's where I impeach myself. I've actually done quite a bit of reading and digging uh, because the the Nephilim. In my infancy of searching, I, I thought they were one and the same, but I'm convinced that they are not at, at this point. Um, anyway, that that that's excellent. Now I'm sure that you know where, what my last two categories are, and they're basically. If it's to be believed, it's, it's sort of one and the same, just the flip side of the coin, so I'll, I'll name them together. What do you think angels and demons are? Nothing controversial here.
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> I, I think that um, a- angels are a tough one because there's so many different interpretations. Uh, I think with early civilizations, when they mentioned an angel, it was probably one of multiple... Levels. It was probably uh, uh, extraterrestrial humanoid that had a technology where they could pass through uh, real, uh, uh, the, the, the current field of reality <coughs> from some other place and communicate. Um, now that I've had an interview or two with people who talk about the afterlife, There are angelic beings there that are extremely advanced human uh, 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 entities that have lived very, very long periods of of time uh, that may be able to cross over into our uh, dimension and communicate with people. But if you notice, they don't stay too long. I think it's too hard for them to maintain their... Uh, vibrational rate in our reality, Um, when you hear about afterlife, it's a whole different frequency. It's vibrating at a different frequency. So the physics and each reality are different. Uh, And that's why when you leave your body and you enter the uh, afterlife, it's a different frequency, a different uh, spin. So I think angels come from there. I think they're, I think they're misinterpreted as probably ETs. Uh, and um, there is the fairy realm. And until recently, I didn't know that fairies can actually be as big as humans. And they're able to, ma- to manipulate reality. And they can cross over. And if somebody is talking to you, who looks like a fairy, you might think of him as an angel. So I think the interpretation isn't singular, angel. I think there's angels from different realities. I think the same thing goes for devil types, negative types. Um, I can't really speak to evil types of entities because I haven't really studied it and I don't find it that amusing. <laughs> <laughs> what I can talk about are uh, ETS that have had interactions with with humans that are uh, malevolent. You know, they're they're negative. They want to hurt people. Uh, in some cases, uh, you can be killed by them. Um, and so that's that's what I have to say about that topic.
1: <laughs> uh, that's fine. Um, okay. Well, fair enough on the rank speculation and uh, taking you to places <laughs> you, you absolutely can't go on your show without at least uh, an author or someone who's better to support their research on it. So I'm going to – you've been super generous with your time. We're approaching two hours. So I, I want to just to take this time, A, to thank you, B, thank you for being my guest on my 50th uh, numbered show anyway, and to allow you to plug and promote anything – that, uh, that you want to plug and promote, whether it's your own stuff or things you're associated with, this is free commercial time for you.
2: Okay. Yeah. Uh, thank you very much, Jeff. And I want to congratulate you on your 50th podcast rock, rock the world with it. Um, I'm a huge advocate for podcasts and I hope you uh, can continue your work and you look like you enjoy it, which is huge because no. I run into certain people that are, uh, challenged by uh the whole process of talking to people and then going through and what people are listening uh, people that are listening uh you have to understand that it's just not the recording you have to edit it you have to format it and then upload it into a system and so it takes time and so i congratulate you on your 50th because i know a lot of people that quit after like 10. so uh, again congratulations and uh uh, Garden of uh, Doom, Garden of Boom, Doom, Doom. Doom. Excuse yes. me, Garden of Doom. Great name and uh, much success. So, anyhow, uh, if you want to uh, check out Earth Ancients, uh, I would appreciate it. It's EarthAncients.com. We just launched a brand new arm of uh, on the Earth Ancients network. It's called Destiny. And destiny covers the future. It's all about uh, humanity. 100, 500, 1,000 years in the future. And uh, what we look like as an evolved being. And we get into subtle energy work uh, and also talk about the UFO question. And it's on the uh, Earth Ancients Network. All you got to do is go to earthancients.com and you can, uh, you can read or you can hear all about it. I urge you to check out uh, Facebook or the ancients Facebook because we have galleries from each of our Contributors we require them to supply photos and galleries and you can see aspects of their book aspects of their work and uh, What they bring to the table. So that's
1: my plug <laughs> about Your tours, I know those the near and dear to oh, your heart.
2: Yeah, my tours if you want to see some of these places up close and personal uh, I give tours Every year we do one in Egypt. Uh, we call it the diplomatic tour because you are treated like royalty. Uh, we have armed guards. We are uh, taken on private buses. We do uh, private tours on the on jet. We go all through Egypt. And the real beauty of it is is that most of these tours would cost thousands and thousands of dollars. Ours are usually half of what the rate is. So we do tours in Egypt, Peru, and Mexico every year. So for that information, go to earthancients.com and you'll see the tour banner on top.
1: if you ever want to come back and shoot the shit, but not as Cliff Dunning so you don't get in trouble, you could come as Dun Cliffing. That's fine. (laughs) (laughs) Because I think uh getting you on rank speculation may be a whole lot of fun. Not that this wasn't this was terrific. Thank you so much. Continued success with your show. Thank you for your thoughts and your recognition of the the hard work. It does go into doing a show, but this is, in fact, of labor and lo- of love. And I'm glad that you see that because uh, I think that's really cool because uh, I, I never really think about these things. Um, so, yeah, thank you so much for being with me. Folks out there, check out Earth Ancients. Check out everything you said. And uh, once again, thank you and enjoy the rest of your day and, and keep out of the heat unless you want to be in the heat.
2: Thanks, Jeff.
1: All right, take care. Okay, okay man.
0: Okay, we're gonna do one more. Yeah. far more time to enjoy going to the Yacht Club. Because Ken wasn't commuting to work anymore, he tried Yui for his car insurance. In my life after retiring,
1: it's really just one big weekend.
0: Ken saved lots when he switched to Yui. When your life changes, your insurance should too. Yui. You. Insured. Product issued by Yui Pty Limited. Consider our carpedias at yui.com.au to decide if this product is right for you. My wife and I wanted to escape the city and move to a coastal location. Because Bryn was only driving a short distance to work, he tried Yui for his car insurance. We really wanted to give our children a different lifestyle, one that's a little bit more relaxed. Bryn saved lots when he switched to Yui. When your life changes, your insurance should too. Yui. You. Insured. We'll product issued by UEPDY Limited. Consider our car at ue.com.au to decide if this product is right for you.